0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gemma Blythe. Mall Flanders by Daniel Defoe. Section 16. My comrade, having the brand of an old offender, was executed. The young offender was spared, having obtained a reprieve, but lay starving a long while in prison. Till at last she got her name into what they call a circuit pardon, and so came off. This terrible example of my comrade frighted me heartily, and for a good while I made no excursions. But one night, in the neighbourhood of my governess's house, they cried fire. My governess looked out, for we were all up, and cried immediately that such a gentlewoman's house was all of a light fire atop, and so indeed it was. Here she gives me a job. Now, child, she says, there is a rare opportunity, for the fire being so near that you may go to it before the street is blocked up with the crowd. She presently gave me my cue. Go, child, says she, to the house, and run in and tell the lady or anybody you see that you come to help them and that you came from such a gentlewoman, that is, one of her acquaintance farther up the street, She gave me the like cue to the next house, naming another name that was also an acquaintance of the gentlewoman of the house. Away I went, and coming to the house, I found them all in confusion, you may be sure. I ran in, and finding one of the maids, Lord, sweetheart, says I, how came this dismal accident? Where is your mistress? Anyhow does she do? Is she safe? And where are the children? I come from, madam, to help you. Away runs the maid. Madam, madam, says she, screaming as loud as she could yell. Here is a gentlewoman come from madam, to help us. The poor woman, half out of her wits, with a bundle under her arm, and two little children, comes toward me. Lord, madam, says I, let me carry the poor children to madam. She desires you to send them. She'll take care of the poor lambs. And immediately I takes one of them out of her hand. "'and she lifts the other up into my arms. "'Ah, do, for God's sake,' says she, "'carry them to her. "'Oh, thank her for her kindness. "'Have you anything else to secure, madam?' says I. "'She will take care of it. "'Oh, dear. "'Ay,' says she, "'God bless her and thank her. "'Take this bundle of plate "'and carry it to her, too. "'Oh, she is a good woman. "'Oh, Lord, we are utterly ruined, "'utterly undone.' and away she runs from me, out of her wits, and the maids after her, and away comes I with the two children in the bundle. I was no sooner got into the street, but I saw another woman come to me. Oh, says she, mistress, in a piteous tone, you will not let fall the child. Come, this is a sad time, let me help you, and immediately lays hold of my bundle to carry it for me. No, says I, if you will help me take the child by the hand and lead it for me, but to the upper end of the street. I'll go with you and satisfy you for your pains. She could not avoid going after what I said, but the creature, in short, was one of the same business with me and wanted nothing but the bundle. However, she went with me to the door, for she could not help it. When we were come there, I whispered her, Go, child, said I. I understand your trade. You may meet with purchase enough. She understood me and walked off. I thundered at the door with the children, and as the people were raised before by the noise of the fire, I was soon let in. And I said, Is Madam awake? Pray tell her that Mrs. desires the favor of her to take the two children in. Poor lady, she will be undone. Their house is all of a flame. They took the children in very civilly. Pity the family in distress. And awake am I with my bundle one of the maids asked me if i was not to leave the bundle too i said no sweetheart tis to go to another place it does not belong to them i was a great way out of the hurry now and so i went on clear of anybody's inquiry and brought the bundle of plate which was very considerable straight home and gave it to my old governess she told me she would not look into it but bade me go out again to look for more She gave me the like cue to the gentlewoman of the next house to that which was on fire, and I did my endeavour to go. But by this time the alarm of fire was so great, and so many engines playing, and the street so thronged with people, that I could not get near the house whatever I would do. So I came back again to my governesses, and taking the bundle up into my chamber, I began to examine it. It is with horror that I tell what a treasure I found there. "'Tis enough to say that besides most of the family plate, which was considerable, "'I found a gold chain, an old-fashioned thing, "'the locket of which was broken, so that I suppose it had not been used some years. "'But the gold was not the worse for that. "'Also a little box of burying rings, the lady's wedding ring, "'and some broken bits of old lockets of gold, a gold watch, "'and a purse with about twenty-four pounds value of old pieces of gold coin.' and several other things of value. This was the greatest and the worst prize that ever I was concerned in. For indeed, though, as I have said above, I was hardened now beyond the power of all reflection in other cases, yet it really touched me to the very soul, when I looked into this treasure, to think of the poor, disconsolate gentlewoman who had lost so much by the fire besides, and who would think to be sure that she had saved her plate and best things, how she would be surprised and afflicted when she should find that she had been deceived, and should find that the person that took her children and her goods had not come as was pretended from the gentlewoman in the next street, but that the children had been put upon her without her own knowledge. I say, I confess the inhumanity of this action moved me very much and made me relent exceedingly and tears stood in my eyes upon that subject. But with all my sense of it being cruel and inhuman, I could never find in my heart to make any restitution. The reflection wore off, and I began quickly to forget the circumstances that attended the taking them. Nor was this all, for though by this job I was become considerably richer than before, yet the resolution I had formerly taken of leaving off this horrid trade when I had gotten a little more "'did not return. "'But I must still get further and more, "'and the avarice joined so much with the success "'that I had no more thoughts of coming to a timely alteration of life. "'Though without it, I could expect no safety, "'no tranquillity in the possession of what I had so wickedly gained. "'But a little more, and a little more, was the case still. "'At length, yielding to the importunities of my crime. I cast off all remorse and repentance, and all the reflections on that head turned to no more than this, that I might perhaps come to have one booty more that might complete my desires. But though I certainly had that one booty, yet every hit looked towards another, and was so encouraging to me to go on with the trade, that I had no gust to the thought of laying it down. In this condition, hardened by success, and resolving to go on, I fell into the snare in which I was appointed to meet with my last reward for this kind of life. But even this was not yet, for I met with several successful adventures, more in this way of being undone. I remained still with my governess, who was for a while really concerned for the misfortune of my comrade that had been hanged, and who, it seems, knew enough in this condition of my governess to have sent her the same way and which made her very uneasy indeed she was in a very great fright it is true that when she was gone and had not opened mouth to tell what she knew my governess was easy as to that point and perhaps glad she was hanged for it was in her power to have obtained a pardon at the expense of her friends but on the other hand the loss of her and the sense of her kindness in not making her market of what she knew moved my governess to mourn very sincerely for her i comforted her as well as i could and she in return hardened me to merit more completely the same fate however as i have said it made me the more wary and particularly i was very shy of shoplifting especially among the mercers and drapers who are a set of fellows that have their eyes very much about them i made a venture or two among the lace folks and the milliners and particularly at one shop, where I got notice of two young women who were newly set up and had not been bred to the trade. There I think I carried off a piece of bone lace, worth six or seven pounds, and a paper of thread. But this was but once. It was a trick that would not serve again. It was always reckoned a safe job when we heard of a new shop, and especially when the people were such as were not bred to shop. Such may depend upon it, that they will be visited once or twice at their beginning and they must be very sharp indeed if they can prevent it i made another adventure or two but they were but trifles too though sufficient to live on after this nothing considerable offering for a good while i began to think that i must give over the trade in earnest but my governess who was not willing to lose me and expected great things of me brought me one day into company with a young woman and a fellow that went for her husband. Though as it appeared afterwards, she was not his wife, but they were partners. It seems in the trade they carried on, and partners in something else. In short, they robbed together, lay together, were taken together, and at last were hanged together. I came into a kind of league with these two, by the help of my governess, and they carried me out into three or four adventures, where I rather saw them commit some coarse and unhandy robberies in which nothing but a great stock of impudence on their side and gross negligence on the people's side who were robbed could have made them successful. So I resolved from that time forward to be very cautious how I had ventured upon anything with them, and indeed, when two or three unlucky projects were proposed by them, i declined the offer and persuaded them against it one time they particularly proposed robbing a watchmaker of three gold watches which they had eyed in the daytime and found the place where he laid them one of them had so many keys of all kinds that he made no question to open the place where the watchmaker had laid them and so we made a kind of appointment but when i came to look narrowly into the thing I found they proposed breaking open the house, and this, as a thing out of my way, I would not embark in, so they went without me. They did get into the house by main force, and broke up the locked place where the watches were, but found but one of the gold watches and a silver one, which they took, and got out of the house again very clear. But the family, being alarmed, cried out, THIEVES, and the man was pursued and taken." The young woman had got off too, but unhappily was stopped at a distance and the watches found upon her. And thus I had a second escape, for they were convicted and both hanged, being old offenders, though but young people. As I said before, that they robbed together and lay together, so now they hanged together, and there ended my new partnership. I began now to be very wary, having so narrowly escaped a scouring, and having such an example before me. But I had a new tempter, who prompted me every day, I mean my governess, and now a prize presented, which as it came by her management, so she expected a good share of the booty. There was a good quantity of Flanders lace lodged in a private house, where she had gotten intelligence of it, and Flanders lace being prohibited. It was a good booty to any custom-house officer that could come at it. I had a full account from my governess as well of the quantity as of the very place where it was concealed, and I went to a custom house officer and told him I had such a discovery to make to him of such a quantity of lace if he would assure me that I should have my due share of the reward. This was so just an offer that nothing could be fairer, so he agreed, and taking a constable and me with him, we beset the house. "'As I told him I could go directly to the place, he left it to me. "'And the hole being very dark, I squeezed myself into it with a candle in my hand "'and so reached the pieces out to him, taking care as I gave him some, "'so to secure as much about myself as I could conveniently dispose of. "'There was near three hundred pounds worth of lace in the hole, "'and I secured about fifty pounds worth of it to myself. "'The people of the house were not owners of the lace.' but a merchant who had entrusted them with it, so that they were not so surprised as I thought they would be. I left the officer overjoyed with his prize, and fully satisfied with what he had got, and appointed to meet him at a house of his own directing, where I came after I had disposed of the cargo I had about me, of which he had not the least suspicion." When I came to him, he began to capitulate with me, believing I did not understand the right I had to a share in the prize, and would fain have put me off with twenty pounds. But I let him know that I was not so ignorant as he supposed I was, and yet I was glad, too, that he offered to bring me to a certainty. I asked a hundred pounds, and he rose up to thirty pounds. I fell to eighty pounds, and he rose again to forty pounds. In a word... He offered fifty pounds, and I consented, only demanding a piece of lace, which I thought came to about eight or nine pounds, as if it had been for my own wear, and he agreed to it. So I got fifty pounds in money, paid me that same night, and made an end of the bargain. Nor did he ever know who I was or where to inquire for me, so that if it had been discovered that part of the goods were embezzled, he would have no challenge upon me for it. I very punctually divided this spoil with my governess, and I passed with her from this time for a very dexterous manager in the nicest cases. I found that this last was the best and easiest sort of work that was in my way, and I made it my business to inquire about prohibited goods, and after buying some, usually betrayed them. But none of these discoveries amounted to anything considerable. Not like that I related just now. But I was willing to act safe, and was still cautious of running the great risks which the others did, and in which they miscarried every day. The next thing of moment was an attempt at a gentlewoman's good watch. It happened in a crowd at a meeting-house, where I was in very great danger of being taken. I had full hold of her watch, but giving a great jostle, as if somebody had thrust me against her, and in the juncture giving the watch a fair pull. I found that it would not come, so I let it go that moment, and cried out as if I had been killed, that somebody had trod upon my foot, and that there were certainly pickpockets there, for somebody or other had given a pull to my watch. For you are to observe that on these adventures we always went very well dressed, and I had very good clothes on, and a gold watch by my side, as like a lady as other fold. I had no sooner said so, But the other gentlewoman cried out, "'A pickpocket, too, for somebody,' she said, had tried to pull her watch away. When I touched her watch, I was close to her, but when I cried out, I stopped as it were short, and the crowd bearing her forward a little. She made a noise, too, but it was at some distance from me, so that she did not in the least suspect me. And when she cried out, "'A pickpocket! Somebody cried, "'Eh!' "'And here has been another this gentlewoman has been attempted to.' At that very instance, a little farther in the crowd, and very luckily too, they cried out, "'A pickpocket!' again, and really seized a young fellow in the very act. This, though unhappy for the wretch, was very opportunely for my case, though I had carried it off handsomely enough before. But now it was out of doubt And all the loose part of the crowd ran that way, and the poor boy was delivered up to the rage of the street, which is a cruelty I need not describe, and which, however, they are always glad of, rather than to be sent to Newgate, where they lie often a long time till they are almost perished, and sometimes they are hanged, and the best they can look for if they are convicted is to be transported." This was a narrow escape to me, and I was so frighted that I ventured no more at gold watches a great while. There was indeed a great many concurring circumstances in this adventure which assisted to my escape. But the chief was that the woman whose watch I had pulled at was a fool, that is to say. She was ignorant of the nature of the attempt, which one would have thought she should not have been seeing she was wise enough to fasten her watch so it could not be slipped up. But she was in such a fright that she had not thought about her proper for the discovery, for she, when she felt the pull, screamed out and pushed herself forward, and put all the people about her into disorder, and said not a word of her watch or of a pickpocket for at least two minutes' time, which was time enough for me, and to spare." For as I had cried out behind her, as I have said, and bore myself back in the crowd as she bore forward, there were several people, at least seven or eight, the throng being still moving on, that were got between me and her in that time, and then I crying out a pickpocket, rather sooner than she, or at least as soon. She might as well be the person suspected as I, and the people were confused in their inquiry, whereas had she with the presence of mind needful on such an occasion as soon as she felt the pull not screamed out as she did but turned immediately round and seized the next body that was behind her she had infallibly taken me this is a direction not of the kindest sort to the fraternity but is certainly a key to the clue of a pickpocket's motions and whoever can follow it will certainly catch the thief as he will be sure to miss if he does not I had another adventure, which puts this matter out of doubt, and which may be an instruction for posterity in the case of a pickpocket. My good old governess, to give a short touch at her history, though she had left off the trade, was, as I may say, born a pickpocket, and, as I understand afterwards, had run through all the several degrees of that art, and yet had never been taken but once, when she was so grossly detected That she was convicted and ordered to be transported, but being a woman of a rare tongue and withal having money in her pocket, she found means. The ship putting into Ireland for provisions to get on shore there, where she lived and practised her old trade for some years. When falling into another sort of bad company, she turned midwife and procuress and laid a hundred pranks there. "'which she gave me a little history of in-confidence between us "'as we grew more intimate. "'And it was to this wicked creature "'that I owed all the art and dexterity I arrived to, and which there were few that ever went beyond me "'or that practiced so long without any misfortune. "'It was after those adventures in Ireland, "'and when she was pretty well known in that country, "'that she left Dublin and came over to England, "'where, the time of her transportation being not expired,' she left her former trade, for fear of falling into bad hands again, for then she was sure to have gone to wreck. Here she set up the same trade she had followed in Ireland, in which she soon, by her admirable management and good tongue, arrived to the height which I have already described, and indeed began to be rich, though her trade fell off again afterwards, as I have hinted before. I mention thus much of the history of this woman here, the better to account for the concern she had in the wicked life I was now leading, into all the particulars of which she led me, as if it were by the hand, and gave me such direction, and I so well followed them, that I grew the greatest artist of my time, and worked myself out of every danger with such dexterity, that when several more of my comrades ran themselves into Newgate presently, and by that time they had been half a year at the trade, I had now practised upwards of five years. And the people at Newgate did not so much as know me. They had heard much of me indeed, and often expected me there. But I always got off, though many times in the extremest danger. One of the greatest dangers I was now in was that I was too well known among the trade, and some of them whose hatred was owing rather to envy than any injury I had done them, Began to be angry that I should always escape, when they were always catched and hurried to Newgate. These were they that gave me the name of Moll Flanders, for it was no more of affinity with my real name or with any of the name I had ever gone by, than black is of kin to white. Except that once, as before, I called myself Mrs. Flanders when I sheltered myself in the Mint, but that those rogues never knew nor could I ever learn how it came to give me the name or what the occasion of it was. I was soon informed that some of these who had gotten fast into Newgate had vowed to impeach me, and as I knew that two or three of them were but too able to do so, I was under a great concern about it and kept within doors for a good while. But my governess, whom I always made partner in my success and who now played a sure game with me, For that she had a share of the gain and no share of the hazard. "'I say my governess was something impatient "'of my leading such a useless, unprofitable life, as she called it, "'and she laid a new contrivance for my going abroad, "'and this was to dress me up in men's clothes "'and so put me into a new kind of practice. "'I was tall and personable and a little too smooth-faced for a man. "'However, I seldom went abroad, but in the night it did well enough.' But it was a long time before I could behave in my new clothes, I mean, as to my craft. It was impossible to be so nimble, so ready, so dexterous at these things in a dress so contrary to nature. And I did everything clumsily. So I had neither the success nor the easiness of escape that I had before. And I resolved to leave it off. But that resolution was confirmed soon after by the following accident. As my governess disguised me like a man so she joined me with a man a young fellow that was nimble enough at his business and for about three weeks we did very well together our principal trade was watching shopkeepers counters and slipping off any kinds of goods we could see carelessly laid anywhere and we made several good bargains as we called them at this work and as we kept always together so we grew more intimate yet he never knew that i was not a man Nay though I several times went home with him to his lodgings, according as our business directed, and four or five times lay with him all night. But our design lay another way, and it was absolutely necessary to me to conceal my sex from him, as appeared afterwards. The circumstances of our living, coming in late and having such and such business to do as required, that nobody should be trusted with the coming into our lodgings, Was such as made it impossible to me to refuse lying with him, unless I would have owned my sex, and as it was, I effectually concealed myself. But his ill and my good fortune soon put an end to this life, which I must own I was sick of, too, on several accounts. We had made several prizes in this new way of business, but the last would be extraordinary. There was a shop in a certain street, which had a warehouse behind it that looked into another street, the house making the corner of the turning. Through the window of the warehouse we saw, lying on the counter or showboard, which was just before it, five pieces of silks. Besides other stuffs, and though it was almost dark, yet the people being busy in the four shop with customers had not had time to shut up those windows, or else had forgot it. "'This the young fellow was so overjoyed with "'that he could not restrain himself. "'It lay all within his reach,' he said, "'and he swore violently to me that he would have it "'if he broke down the house for it. "'I dissuaded him a little, but saw there was no remedy. "'So he ran rashly upon it, "'slipped out a square of the sash window dexterously enough "'and without noise, "'and got out four pieces of the silks "'and came with them towards me.' but was immediately pursued with a terrible clutter and noise. We were standing together indeed, but I had not taken any of the goods out of his hand when I said to him hastily, You are undone, fly, for God's sake. He ran like lightning, and I too, but the pursuit was hotter after him because he had the goods than after me. He dropped two of the pieces, which stopped them a little, but the crowd increased and pursued us both they took him soon after with the other two pieces upon him and then the rest followed me i ran for it and got into my governess's house whither some quick-eyed people followed me to warmly as to fix me there they did not immediately knock at the door by which i got time to throw off my disguise and dress me in my own clothes besides when they came there My governess, who had her tail ready, kept my door shut and called out to them, and told them there was no man come in there. The people affirmed there did a man come in there, and swore they would break open the door. My governess, not at all surprised, spoke calmly to them, told them they should very freely come and search her house, if they should bring a constable, and let in none but such as the constable would admit, for it was unreasonable to let in a whole crowd." This they could not refuse, though they were a crowd. So a constable was fetched immediately, and she very freely opened the door. The constable kept the door, and the men he appointed searched the house, my governess going with them from room to room. When she came to my room, she called to me and said aloud, "'Cousin, pray open the door. Here's some gentlemen that must come and look into your room.' I had a little girl with me. "'which was my governess's grandchild, as she called her, "'and I bade her open the door, "'and there sat I at work, "'with a great litter of things about me, "'as if I had been at work all day, "'being myself quite undressed, "'with only nightclothes on my head "'and a loose morning gown wrapped about me. "'My governess made a kind of excuse "'for their disturbing me, "'telling me partly the occasion of it, "'and that she had no remedy "'but to open the doors to them.' And let them satisfy themselves for all she could say to them would not satisfy them i sat still and bid them search the room if they pleased for if there was anybody in the house i was sure they were not in my room and as for the rest of the house i had nothing to say to that i did not understand what they looked for everything looked so innocent and too honest about me that they treated me civiler than i expected but it was not till they had searched the room to a nicety even under the bed, in the bed, and everywhere else, where it was possible anything could be hid. When they had done this, and could find nothing, they asked my pardon for troubling me, and went down. When they had thus searched the house, from bottom to top, and then top to bottom, and could find nothing, they appeased the mob pretty well, but they carried my governess before the justice. Two men swore that they saw the man whom they pursued go into her house, The governess rattled and made a great noise that her house should be insulted, and that she should be used thus for nothing, that if a man did come in, he might go out again presently for aught she knew. For she was ready to make oath that no man had been within her doors all that day as she knew of, and that was very true indeed, that it might be indeed that as she was above stairs, any fellow in a fright might find the door open and run in for shelter when he was pursued." but that she knew nothing of it. And if it had been so, he certainly went out again, perhaps at the other door, for she had another door into the alley, and so had made his escape and cheated them all. This was indeed probable enough, and the justice satisfied himself with giving her an oath that she had not received or admitted any man into her house to conceal him, or protect or hide him from justice. This oath she might justly take, and did so, and so she was dismissed. It is easy to judge what a fright I was in upon this occasion, and it was impossible for my governess ever to bring me to dress in that disguise again, for, as I told her, I should certainly betray myself. My poor partner in this mischief was now in a bad case, for he was carried away before my Lord Mayor, and by his worship committed to Newgate, and the people who took him were so willing as well as able to prosecute him. "'that they offered themselves to enter into recognizances, "'to appear at the sessions and pursue the charge against him. "'However, he got his indictment deferred, "'upon promise to discover his accomplices, "'and particularly the man that was concerned with him in his robbery, "'and he failed not to do his endeavour. "'For he gave in my name, whom he called Gabriel Spencer, "'which was the name I went by to him. "'And here appeared the wisdom of my concealing my name and sex from him, which, if he had ever known, I had been undone. He did all he could to discover this Gabriel Spencer. He described me, he discovered the place where he said I lodged, and, in a word, all the particulars that he could of my dwelling. But having concealed the main circumstances of my sex from him, I had a vast advantage, and he never could hear of me. He brought two or three families into trouble by his endeavouring to find me out but they knew nothing of me any more than that i had a fellow with me that they had seen but knew nothing of and as for my governess though she was the means of his coming to me yet it was done at second hand and he knew nothing of her this turned to his disadvantage for having promised discoveries but not being able to make it good it was looked upon as trifling with the justice of the city and he was the more fiercely pursued by the shopkeepers who took him i was however terribly uneasy all this while and that i might be quite out of the way i went away from my governesses for a while but not knowing whither to wander i took a maid-servant with me and took the stage-coach to dunstable to my old landlord and landlady where i had lived so handsomely with my lancashire husband here i told her a formal story that i expected my husband every day from ireland and that I had sent a letter to him that I would meet him at Dunstable at her house, and that he would certainly land, if the wind were fair, in a few days, so that I was come to spend a few days with them till he should come, for he was either come post or in the Westchester coach. I knew not which, but whichever it was he would be sure to come to that house to meet me. My landlady was mighty glad to see me, and my landlord made such a stir with me, that if i had been a princess i could not have been better used and here i might have been welcome a month or two if i had thought fit but my business was of another nature i was very uneasy though so well disguised that it was scarce possible to detect me lest this fellow should somehow or other find me out and though he could not charge me with this robbery having persuaded him not to venture and having also done nothing in it myself but run away Yet he might have charged me with other things, and have bought his own life at the expense of mine. This filled me with horrible apprehensions. I had no recourse, no friend, no confidant, but my old governess, and I knew no remedy but to put my life in her hands, and so I did. For I let her know where to send to me, and had several letters from her, while I stayed here. Some of them almost scared me out of my wits, but at last she sent me the joyful news that he was hanged, which was the best news to me that I had heard a great while. I had stayed here five weeks and lived very comfortably indeed, the secret anxiety of my mind excepted. But when I received this letter I looked pleasantly again and told my landlady that I had received a letter from my spouse in Ireland, that I had the good news of his being very well, but had the bad news that his business would not permit him to come away so soon as he expected, and so I was like to go back again without him. My landlady complimented me upon the good news, however, that I had heard he was well, for I have observed, madam, said she, you hadn't been so pleasant as you used to be. You have been over head and ears in care for him. I dare say, says the good woman. "'Tis easy to be seen. There is an alteration in you for the better,' says she. "'Well, I am sorry the Esquire can't come yet,' says my landlord. "'I should have been heartily glad to have seen him. "'But I hope, when you have certain news of his coming, "'you'll take a step hither again, madam,' says he. "'You shall be very welcome whenever you please to come.'" End of Section 16 All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain.